raise your hand and one of the ushers will come by and help you. All right. We got somebody here in the middle. Anyone else need a Bible? Got a couple of people on uh, my left here. Amen. All right. Well, before we get started, let me offer a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we need you. God, I need you. May there be less of me and more of you. I pray, God, for the hearers that they would have ears for what the Spirit is saying. Your word is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Well, ARC, we are a blessed people. Consider this. Week in and week out, we get the privilege to hear the preaching of the gospel. We have an abundance of material and theological resources at our fingertips. And we just can worship freely without facing any kind of persecution. And we also have a deep bench of really good preachers. Praise God. God has poured into us richly. And we ought to praise God for that rightly. But have you ever wondered why has God saved us? Why has God blessed us? Why has God placed us here for such a time as this? It's not like this throughout the world. It's not even like this throughout the nation. It's not like this throughout our city. But God's word has answers to why and what. In Psalm 67, we can look into God's word and see that this morning. It was written, and it should also be read in the context of Psalm 65, 66, and also 68. I encourage you um, today to read that uh, as well. So the psalm is written and is um, talking about and highlighting and praising God for the harvest season. So the author of this psalm is probably looking around and he sees that God has blessed the people. He has blessed the land and he rejoices. But at the same time, he has these same questions of what and why. Why, God, have you blessed me? Why have you blessed Israel? And what about the peoples of the world that do not know you? God, you deserve the praise, the glory, and the honor, but they're giving it to another. Is there any hope for these nations? So we don't know who actually wrote this psalm, but we do know why. He wanted God's people to remember, to remember that God is the righteous judge, that he is the shepherd king, to remember that God has always been on mission redeeming a people from all people. And he does that so that he would be glorified and that the nations would be glad in him. So like any good songwriter who wants his people to remember, he puts it to a beat and then he sings this following prayer. Psalm 67. To the choir master with string instruments, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, 
that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So the main point is God has blessed us to be a witness to the nations. And we see that in verse 1 and 2. For the joy of the nations, verse 3 through 5, that God will receive reverence from the nations. And we see that in verse 6 and 7. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. Blessed to be a witness to the nations. The psalmist here prays that God would be gracious to us. You see that there in verse 1? It says, bless us and make his face shine upon us. This is an amazing prayer. In the Hebrew, it paints a picture literally of an expanded blessing. And as it moves forward, it shows the Lord's movement forward to his people. From one level to the next level, culminating in God's face shining upon his people. God smiling on his people. He is praying literally to the God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he's asking to pour out his love and favor on them, to personally shepherd them, to provide for all their needs, both physically and spiritually, for God himself to look them full in the face and prosper them. This is unthinkable, especially in the Hebrew mindset. But what's even more amazing is that God himself desired this, and not just for Israel, but for all the peoples of the earth. If you see this here, it reminds you of the ironic blessing in number six, beginning in verse 22. Notice in Numbers, verse six, chapter six, who the recipients of the blessing are. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So it is a blessing to Israel for Israel, period. So they thought, but whereas in Psalm 67, it's a blessing to Israel, for Israel, comma. Let's look at verse 2 where it says that for your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So you see they heard the first section of the verse and their hearts and their minds immediately went to the ironic blessing. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. But the psalmist reminds them that the second section, which is linked directly to the Abrahamic covenant, and we see that in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This was a time even before Israel was considered a nation, which shows God had the ends of the earth in mind all along to receive his love. So God called Abram and blessed him to be a blessing to the nations and to the families of all the earth. And it reads, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. This seems to be a very important concept in the mind of God. And if it is in the mind of God, it should be in the minds of his people. But why is this? Why did he choose Israel? Israel was chosen to be a light to the nations, Isaiah 49, 6, that God's salvation may reach the ends of the earth. His desire is for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God has strategically located his people once they entered into the promised land. When they arrived, he placed them right along the trade routes between the Arabian desert and the Mediterranean Sea. Why? So that he may be known. All the surrounding nations had to pass through Israel, Asia Minor, Egypt, Syria, Assyria, Babylon, Persia. They would come and see and be attracted to how God blessed his people. And the goal was for the peoples of the world to say, who is this God? You remember Queen Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10? She heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. And she came to Jerusalem. And when she saw for herself the wisdom and the wealth, she said, Bless be the name of the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Well, the Lord uses a come and see attraction but he also uses a go and tell mandate. And the reason for that is so that he may be known. When we look at Romans 10, 13 to 15, we see the go and tell mandate for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And the good news is that God is knowable and his saving power is available. And it's available in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that over 2,000 years ago, he was sent by the Father. He experienced the exact opposite of the ironic blessing. The holy, perfect Lamb of God who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And rather... Then receiving the Lord's blessing, he received the curse. Instead of the father shining his face on him, the father turned his face from him. It was our sin that did that. And the wages of sin is death. And we deserve that punishment. But God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, blasphemers, and God haters, Christ died for us. The king of glory the king of glory died and was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave, proving that he was the acceptable sacrifice for our sin. And when we repent and we turn from our sin and put our trust in the Savior, we receive his forgiveness. Trust the Savior today. His salvation is still made available. Not only did he become a curse on our behalf, but we receive all the blessings of God in Christ. And the greatest blessing being God himself and eternity with him. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life that we may know him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. 
the one who was sent on a mission to rescue sinners, now sends us as ambassadors of Christ. What a privilege. What an honor that he would use us. The question is, how are we stewarding that blessing? What are some of the strategic trade routes the Lord has placed you near? Where can people come and see or you can go and tell how the Lord has blessed you? And just a special note on blessing. It's not just material, but it's also and more importantly, spiritual. God has blessed us to be a witness to the nations for the joy of the nations, which is in verse three to five, the joy of the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So we see in verse 3 and 5, it's a repeat, letting the peoples, wanting the peoples to praise God. Um, God deserves this global praise and worship as illustrated in Psalm 148, which declares, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. I like that. If the heavens, stars, and moon can praise the Lord, how much more should those made in the image and likeness of God praise him? What is praise? What is it about? It's an expression, an expression of approval, admiration to extol in words and song, to glorify and to magnify our God. It is vertical and it's also horizontal. We praise God directly by expressing our admiration to him. For example, Father, I thank you for health and strength, or even, Lord, I thank you for the grace of sustaining me in the midst of my afflictions. We always have reason to praise our God. And if you think about the goodness of the Lord and all that he's done for you, (laughs) your soul should cry hallelujah. Because if we're honest, things could be a whole lot worse than they are. But God, he has kept us from losing our minds. He has protected us in car accidents and all kinds of dangers seen and unseen. And the other area is when we praise God indirectly. We do it by magnifying him to others. Our thoughts just overflow with who he is and what he's done. Think about Moses and the sons of Israel when they sang the song to the Lord. And they said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. And when Marion seen this and how the Lord had brought the waters over the armies of Pharaoh and the Israelites walked through on dry ground, Marion grabbed her tambourine. She called her folks over and they began to praise and dance in front of the Lord. We see that in Exodus 15. But sadly, that type of joy, that type of praise is lacking. According to the Joshua Project, There are 67 countries in the 1040 window. So the 1040 window is a stretch of land that goes across northern Africa, across the Middle East, and parts of Southeast Asia. And this area has 7,000 unreached ethnic people groups, meaning they have less than a 2% indigenous Christian witness. In other words, it's a whole lot of people not giving King Jesus glory, honor, and praise. 
And God is seriously committed to getting glory for showing mercy in Christ. This is why Paul says that God in eternity past decided to rescue the world. Ephesians 1, 6 says, for the praise of his glorious grace, for the praise of his glory. Piper and let the nations be glad states there is something about God that is so universally praiseworthy and so profoundly beautiful and so comprehensively comprehensively worthy and so deeply satisfying that God would find passionate admirers in every diverse people group in the world. Thus, the diversity of the source of admiration will testify to his incomparable glory. This is why he calls us to join him in taking the gospel to the ends of the world. When the psalmist is praying, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, he is ultimately saying, God, you are worth it. Why are all the resources, why all the time, why enduring conflicts, why forming teams and taking malaria pills and vaccinations? Because God is worth it. And if you look at the rest of verse four, it says, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So you see judge, equity and guide. This is a picture of the righteous judge who is also the sovereign shepherd. This balance between strength and meekness was a foreign concept to the nations of the world. Why? Because sinful rulers rule sinfully. And that was true then and that's true now. But this is encouraging that ultimate justice will come, but not by mere human effort. But when the one who is both righteous and judge, sovereign and shepherd appears, he will call all things into account. This is frightening for those that don't trust in him, but it's great news for those that do. Because there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we all will be judged, either in sin or in Jesus. So in light of that, the application is simple. How will our missionary efforts here at Anacostia River Church help the nations rejoice and not despair in the soon coming king? Do we as Christians rejoice that we are no longer under judgment, but rather under the shepherding hand of God? God has blessed us to be a witness to the nations for the joy of the nations that God will receive, verse 6 and 7, reverence from the nations. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is like planting a garden, and after years of seeding, finally you rejoice in the fact that the earth has yielded its increase. This has both an immediate and a future fulfillment. The psalmist during the abundant harvest sees God's blessings and he notices that it's not just for Israel, but it's also for the surrounding nations. Deuteronomy expresses that in chapter 28, that as a result of faithful obedience, God's people will be blessed. But it also points to a future hope in Christ who obeyed the law perfectly. Starting with the promised seed, the woman in Genesis, to the promised seed of Abraham, up until the time that the psalmist wrote this prayer, God has been showing himself faithful and had until the coming of the Messiah, the true blessing. In Galatians 3, 13 to 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to the nations. And Jesus had to even remind his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 35, that uh, to the disciples who were really slow in connecting the dots. And he said this, do not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. He was telling them to look beyond Israel, the blessings of Aaron, but to look to the covenant of Abraham and the salvation of the Gentiles. For true worshipers, those that worship the Father are those who worship the Father in spirit and truth. Matthew 9, 37 to 38 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So the ending is like the beginning with blessing. He blesses us and blesses us and blesses us again so that God, giving us what we need to accomplish his mission, we go out for his glory and for the nations to be glad, resulting in worship to God. And I think Piper wraps it up well where he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Christian, does this mean that we need to neglect discipling the neighbors for the sake of the nations? No. It's both and. Most naturally and consistently, it will play out right where you live. Getting on a plane does not make you a missionary. So before you go to a 1040 window, you have to ask yourself, what am I doing with my time and blessings in my nine to five window? How are you doing with your coworkers, your neighbors, your own children, on the bus, the train? Are you praying for those opportunities? Then also, on the other hand, should you neglect discipling nations for the sake of the neighborhood? No, it should be both and. Our mission statement at Anacostia River Church is to glorify God by making disciples from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the globe. But we are living in such a time where literally the four corners of the globe are on the four corners of the block. Refugees and international students are looking for opportunities to engage with American culture. International Students Ministry has a statistic that says 70% of international students are never invited into the home. That ought not to be. If we don't take advantage of this opportunity, I think we're missing out on God's grace in this area. And truth be told, there's no telling how long this open door will last. But for now, in our daily routines, and even after service today, we can be intentional about recognizing and reaching out to the international community that is around us. God has blessed us to be a witness to the nations for the joy of the nations that God would receive reverence from the nations. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this psalm. We thank you for this reminder 
we thank you even for the blessings that you have poured out on us, both spiritually and materially. Lord, may we use this for your glory. May we use this that the nations would be glad and that you would be glorified, O God. We pray for international students and refugees that are among us, Lord, that we would recognize and see and that you would receive ultimate glory and praise from all peoples of the earth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.